Hi, and welcome back to another exciting week here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arye Lightstone. You're listening to us on the NachumSiegel.com website. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our dear friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, I always try to give a plug, normally towards the middle of the show, to make sure that you've downloaded our app either in the Google Play Store or in the iTunes Store. If you haven't had a chance yet to download the Nachum Siegel app, you should certainly do so. It makes the listening uh, much more interactive, and you can stay up to date with the latest programming updates uh, as they stream live from the Nachum Siegel network. So uh, I would highly recommend pausing whatever it is that you're doing now, run to the Google Play Store or to the iTunes Store, download our app. It's a great opportunity for us to interact. One more um, note before we get on with our exciting episode that we have with us this week. Um, Recently, a bunch of listeners have started to interact via Twitter with me. I really have enjoyed that. It's a great way that I try to post some of the information from the show. So if you're not following me, I guess if you're not on Twitter, don't bother with not following me. But if you're on Twitter and you're not following me, please let's rectify that also right now. Follow me at Lightstone A, at Lightstone A. Uh, and as promised uh, from a follower a week or two ago, uh, we will have on a social media expert in the not-too-distant future to be able to guide some of us in terms of even if we're not active tweeting, how do we follow on Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, etc., etc. It's an exciting world that's out there. Uh, it behooves us uh, here on Tech Talk to be able to make sure that all of our listeners are up-to-date and doing what it is that we need to be doing. So, We've tried to cover this year from various different um, segments and various different perspectives, ways to understand technology in a little bit of a different way. Uh, we had sort of from the macro perspective talking last week about the Israel Investment Fund and hearing about mainstream companies in and around Israel, and that was pretty interesting. And we learned about uh, business analysts and project managers and in terms of how that would work in terms of actually uh, accomplishing specific projects. This is something that we wanted to talk about already probably for the last six months here on Tech Talk, which is really many of the products, many of the concepts, yeah, let's use the word concept, many of the concepts that exist in technology are in fact that. So whereas if I were to, I don't know, if I'm a great pizza store, so I know that people are going to come to Lightstone's Pizza Store because it's a great pizza store. But how does it work if I've got an idea in technology, if I've got an idea in entrepreneurship, how do I protect that idea uh, beyond the uh, you know, uh, 12 square feet of my pizza store. How does it work in terms of uh, protecting the thoughts that I've come up with and being able to quote-unquote own them? And that's why we have on for us today, I, I believe, an incredibly special guest, uh, Nathan Renoff. Nathan Renoff is an associate at Pearl Cohen. There's something unique about Pearl Cohen. For our show specifically, we know here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network that we try uh, where as best as possible to engage the synthesis in between uh, products, companies, and, and, and the startup world in, uh, in Israel and in uh, America. And here, the firm, which the real full name is Pearl Cohen, Zedek, Lat, L- Lazar, and Barrett. And uh, Nathan is going to tell me how to pronounce that correctly in just one moment. Um, here has offices really all over, but primarily in America and in Israel. If you go to their website, which is Pearl Cohen. 
Pearl, P-E-A-R-L, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N.com. You'll see that they're in New York, Herzliya, Tel Aviv, London, Boston, and Haifa. As you can tell, the primary focus here is on the synthesis in between North America and Israel. We're here to have on as our guest, Nathan Renoff. We're very excited to have you today. Good morning, Nathan. How are you? Good morning. Great to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. Now, first, uh, please correct the host. How do you pronounce the name of your law firm? The full, no- the full name is Pearl Cone Tzedek Latzer Baratz. There we go. I, uh, I apologize and I appreciate the correction. It is a very well-known firm, especially in the uh, area that you specialize in. We're going to get to that in a little bit. First, what we try to do on the show is to sort of walk through and to get to know who our guests are, what they're bringing to the table, in order that way the listeners understand the value of tuning in. So we actually met uh, almost two decades ago, which is a little bit scary at our age, to say anything about two decades. Nonetheless, um, you grew up in Long Island. Yeah. Walk me through, let's just go sort of post-high school, you know, what your education was and, and why you went in this direction, how you wound up where you are. Okay. Um, I always loved technology my entire life. Uh, I've been pretty much obsessed with it. I went to engineering school, got a degree in electrical engineering, uh, worked for a couple of years in the industry as an electrical engineer. Now, pause for one second. You are our first electrical engineer on our show, to the best of my knowledge. What does that mean you worked in the industry as an electrical engineer? Most of our listeners, or at least the, go- get the host, doesn't know what that means. Okay. I designed uh, power, lighting, fire alarm, uh, and other related systems. Um, we were the middlemen between... Uh, the architects and the contractors. So the architects want it to look a certain way. The contractors have to build it a certain way. We made it functional. We designed the systems so that the contractors could build it uh, the way that the architects wanted it. So basically when you, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, you wind up with a, a building needs to look a certain way, but a building also needs to function. Right. And so you are the person who, who takes care of the guts. Of the, uh, of the building. Somebody else sort of makes it look cosmetically pretty. You make sure that it runs efficiently and effectively. Correct. And how many different types of engineers? Is that specifically in the world of electrical engineering? How, how does that well, work? Electrical engineers go into many different technology fields. In fact, my engineering background, my education was very broad. Uh, I took classes in, in engineering school in uh, all areas of technology from robotics to telecommunications to um, programming, computer programming, uh, and everything in between to circuitry uh, and everything in between. It was very, I would say it's the kind, I would describe it as an inch deep and a mile wide as far as technology is concerned. Uh, And electrical engineers tend to find themselves in many different areas of of technology. Uh, I ended up in this specific area of designing um, uh, power, lighting, fire alarm systems um, just by more by chance than anything else. Okay, so maybe you can take one step a little bit further back for us because while today it might be popular to uh, you know, talk about computer programming and circuitry and those various different things, when you were doing this 10, 15 years ago, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there weren't a lot of people, quote-unquote, from your background, our background, running into these professions. What about it spoke to you? Um, I had been doing work uh, while I was in undergraduate at Yeshiva University, I was uh, doing part-time consulting work um, uh, looking into emerging technologies 
from an investment standpoint um, for uh, my grandfather's investment banking firm, just looking for potential investment opportunities on the tech, on the tech front, um, which I was doing that kind of research anyway for personal reasons, like I said, because I'm, you know, because I love technology. So I always like to be up on the latest technology coming out. And uh, it worked out well because I was able to work uh, for the company and just pitch different areas that might be good places to focus from an investment standpoint. Um, because I was uh, so into technology, I was looking for an area of focus from an education standpoint that would allow me to be involved in technology um, you know, more technically to understand it better. And that's primarily how I ended up in it. Um, it was really a fluke. A friend of mine called me and said, hey, why don't we do engineering? It sounds cool. We both love technology. Uh, we did a semester of it, and he switched, became an economics major, and is now a uh, periodontist, <laughs> of all things. Uh, I continued with it and got an engineering degree. As a classic leadership technique, follow me. Next thing you know, that guy ran around the corner and became a periodontist. Yeah. And you're uh, knee-deep in, in engineering, and obviously that's evolved. Uh, otherwise, how, how many years did you spend actually working in the field of electrical engineering? Two years. And what was, if I recall from our conversations then, it was both enjoyable and challenging. What was the impetus to, from there you went back to law school? Yeah, I actually always had an eye towards patent law. Uh, even when I was in my engineering uh, days, when I was I, when I was in an edu in the education portion of my uh, early days, meaning when I was taking classes in engineering, I even then I had started to learn about patent law as a possible uh, landing place for me, knowing that in order to become a uh, an attorney that focuses in patent law, you need to have uh, some sort of either engineering or hard science background. Um, and uh, so the engineer, the electrical engineering background is, from what I understand, a sought-after uh, background for patent attorneys. And uh, knowing, you know, as much as possible about the internal workings of of uh, technology has definitely helped me, and I see how that um, has played out in actuality. Uh, I. Uh, wanted to get some experience because I wanted to understand how to practically put my engineering degree to use. But I, I even then working, and I very much enjoyed my time as an engineer, um, but I always kind of knew that I wanted to go back to law school. And uh, thankfully, my wife pushed me to do it. So, so good, good for her. We've got two, <laughs> two role models so far already. Um, your friend who, who pushed you to go to engineering school and your wife who allowed you even <clears throat> while you were at work. Yep. to go back and to go back for law school, which is not a one-year program by any stretch of the imagination. No. You applied, you got accepted, you went to law school. Now, in law school, uh, you were probably at a different stage of life, if you will, than many of your um, co-students. Yes. Um, was there a specialty for the patent law? Is that Was that a focus while you were learning in law school? Yes. Uh, Cardozo, uh, I went to Benjamin and Cardozo School of Law, part Great. of the Yeshiva University family. Uh, so Cardozo actually has a focus in intellectual property. Uh, it's, it's a very well-known program, uh, and a lot of people go there for that program. Uh, so I was able to take a lot of courses in patent law, in trademark law, and copyright law. Um, 
and uh, get a good feel for even uh, taking some uh, patent practicums where you got some level of real world experience. Um, and those were very, very beneficial for me as far as spring, uh, you know, springing, spring, as a springboard for my career in patent law. So. All right, so that's very interesting. Now, at, at when the other students who were taking these specialties at Cordozo, um, were they also then, did they also have engineering backgrounds or other science backgrounds? Yeah, actually, um, the first day of orientation at Cardozo, the dean, the, pre the dean at the time, Dean Rudenstein, got up and said, 97% of you will uh, flip-flop over the next three years in your decisions of what area of law to go into. Uh, the other 3% of you are engineers and you're going, and you know you're going into patent law. <laughs> so uh, he was right about that. Uh, the majority of the people that were in my classes were uh, wanted to be somehow involved in intellectual property, whether it was patents, trademarks, copyrights, etc. Good. We're going to get into that because I, I misspoke before and called it patent law as a you know sort of the, the general title for what it is. It's really the intel the, the law of intellectual property. Correct. And I want to be able to make sure our audience understands the nuances involved with that because in fact there are obviously many different differences uh, that apply uh, to that. So that's interesting. I just. I think sort of to bring the entire picture full circle, um, really two separate questions. One is, in addition to your love of technology, at least I remember, you've always been fond of entrepreneurialism as well. Correct. So where does that come from? Uh, well, that has been uh, bred in me from a very young age. My family uh, are all involved in uh, investing, uh, always looking for, whether it's in the technology sector, in the... Uh, life sciences, pharmaceutical sector, even in the real estate sectors, my family. When I say family, I mean father, grandfather, uncles, aunts, uh, really everybody in the family, uh, brothers, uh, cousins. They're all into. They all have an eye towards um, the business world. And even now, as a patent attorney, I find myself very often consulting people in that space. Uh, and even find myself on the other side of the fence occasionally as uh, an investor with my family uh, in technology and other areas where my perspective is always different than everybody else's because I'm looking at it from a different, slightly different angle. Um, and that I find um, it has been helpful, helpful to me and uh, uh, the people that I'm advising as well. So. And I find that a good segue into the last question to bring up full circle is that I have an inclination that uh, one of the reasons why you went into intellectual property is purely because of your background growing up, a love of entrepreneurialism, a love of technology, but really being able to see it from a macro perspective. So if you want to be able to quote unquote own the space from a macro perspective, you have to understand the, the nitty gritty, but you also have to understand the long term value of that. And that's really where the study of intellectual property really comes into play. Correct. Actually, um, I, I very strongly feel that that my my current profession as an as a patent attorney and uh, and intellectual property intellectual property attorney generally uh, ha really has given me that opportunity to sort of bridge that. I think if I had stayed uh, as an engineer, I wouldn't have had the same level of exposure to the entrepreneurial side of things. So this has certainly given me. Uh, a much broader perspective uh, on the business side of tech, if you will. Sure. And that's, you know, we spend most of the time on this show with the people who are involved in the individual company, individual idea 
um, who are very tunnel vision. And one of the lessons that we learn from them, uh, and we ask all of our guests to try to leave us with one or two lessons in terms of how they would recommend people uh, succeed and thrive. You've got time on the show. We'll come back to that later. We'll plant that seed in the back of your mind. One of them is drive and tunnel vision. You have the ability to take a little bit of a step back and to see the broader picture because you're seeing sort of how the industry is evolving as it goes. So I want to take just a minute to remind our listeners that you're listening to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You're listening to us either on our app or on NachumSiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our good friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. You know, our guest here for this segment is Nathan Renoff. Nathan focuses his practice primarily on patent portfolio management, opinion work, and litigation support with additional experience in licensing. We're going to drill down and see what all those words actually mean. (laughs) He has experience drafting and prosecuting applications for a variety of technologies and industries with particular focus on computer-integrated software and hardware systems, business process process method inventions, Search optimization, public key infrastructure technologies, e-commerce systems, healthcare management systems, and a plethora of other things. In addition to that, something that I've discovered by spending time with Nathan today and other times is that sometimes I'd have to assume people might mischaracterize somebody with a degree in electrical engineering and a law degree who focuses on intellectual property as perhaps being difficult to relate to or perhaps even to communicate with. And if... there is another patent attorney or intellectual property attorney out there. I'm sure you are also exactly like Nathan, engaging and relaxing. But what, one of the reasons why I very much wanted to have you on the show is because I think you can take very intricate concepts and distill them so laymen like myself uh, have the ability to really understand because you're really dealing with the, the, the nittiest of grittiest. Uh, but we want to hear on this show how that actually comes into play. So what I'd like you to do now, Nathan, if possible, is to walk through a macro overview of what it is intellectual property, and then we're going to drill down. I want to give the appropriate introduction to that, that nothing that which Nathan is sharing with us on this show is for any practical legal advice. It's just like everything else on our show, informative. If you want to reach Nathan personally, please feel free to email him at n like Nathan, Renoff, R-E-N-O-V, at pearlcohen.com. You can find him on the pearlcohen.com website and search under professionals and you're going to find Nathan Renoff. So please know if you have any particular questions or looking for an intellectual property attorney, Pearl Cohen and Nathan would be more than excited, I'm sure, to uh, to, to consult with you and to discuss what your needs are and, and um provide legal guidance and advice. This show is purely for information's sake and an opportunity for us to understand the field a little bit better. Thank you. Did I give the appropriate introduction to that? Yes. Okay. I'm sure Nachum Siegel and our network are not interested in assuming any additional liability either, but we're excited to have you on because I think this is a critical part of understanding our industry. So with that lengthy introduction, please explain the the overall umbrella view of what it is that intellectually pro- intellectual property is. Sure. Uh, so at Pearlcone, we represent um, clients and everywhere from single solitary inventors, uh, one person with a micro entity, you know, maybe they just have an idea in their head, or maybe they've actually created an LLC and are, and are trying to develop a business model around a client, all the way up to multinational, um, you know, huge 
uh, companies with uh, massive intellectual property portfolios uh, protecting every area of their intellectual property. Um, and we handle everything in between. Um, what I mean by that is you can, and it really doesn't matter the size of the client, they all have similar needs. So let's take it from the beginning. The, the main areas of intellectual property generally are patent law, trademark law, copyright law, um, people include um, um, trade secrets as well, and some other uh, smaller areas. Um, patent law, uh, really just generalizing, patent law protects, um, is a limited monopoly protecting uh, an invention. So if you have an invention, um, if you're granted a patent on that invention, you have a limited monopoly for up to 20 years uh, maximum uh, to where you can prevent others from making, selling, importing, etc. Your, your invention. Um, it, there's sort of a distinction which we don't have to get into just yet um, between being able to prevent others and being able to practice it yourself because you yourself uh, may also be uh, precluded from uh, per, um, performing your own invention simply by the fact that parts of your invention may be reliant on other inventions that are also patented. So this, it's a, it's a, it's a um, minute distinction, but it's important. Um, trademark law is really about um, protecting the source, understanding where products come from. So uh, the trademark for Coca-Cola, when you see that trademark, uh, the, the quintessential Coca-Cola uh, symbol, sure. you know that that product is coming from Coca-Cola. Um, it's interesting, this, this comes up in uh, a lot of different areas um, with products and services. Uh, and the idea behind it is, are you using a mark that is representative of the products and services that you are, are providing? Uh, if you're using it, there's actually a common law um, protection granted immediately based on the use. Um, it's always a good idea to actually file for a trademark uh, with the Patent and Trademark Office because then you have the ability to um, protect it um, in a, on a larger scale. Um, copyright law. One second, let me pause for one moment on there, on, on both of those, um, because I want to get into a little bit of a practical perspective. So, for example, if I go to the Genius Bar at the Apple Store, right, the concept of that big Apple logo, I assume that's a trademark. Yes. So when I walk into that store, is, is the way that can you trademark the setup of the store? Can you trademark a Genius Bar? Um, and maybe I'm not allowed to ask particular maybe questions the, like right, this. May, maybe We're being the, very vague here. I'm yeah. sorry. Maybe me. Uh, uh, I don't know if you could uh, do this the setup per se, mm -hmm. um, but certainly the Apple logo, the picture of the uh, half-eaten apple, sure. uh, the Apple name, the Apple brand, uh, how things look uh, to a certain extent. Uh, are all uh, trademark uh, possibilities. Uh, there's also an, a segment of patent law uh, called design patent law um, that can be used to protect the look, the ornamental look of products and mm -hmm. other things um, that has similar um, similar crossover to trademark in the sense that the, the test for both of those is the likelihood of confusion. Are you going to be confused by 
the look of the product or the look of the logo or the name of the lo the name of the company etc so you know if I just as a good example you have uh, Delta faucets mm -hmm. you have Delta Airlines and there are a number of other uh, companies called Delta in other um, areas of business that are all valid trademarks in their own right because there isn't a likelihood of confusion that you are going to go to uh, Lowe's or Home Depot and think that the faucet there uh, was made and manufactured and provided by Delta Airlines. Uh, it's understood that Delta, that the faucet that says Delta on it was provided by Delta faucets, right. and not right. And when you go to when you go to the airport and you see Delta Airlines, they're they're separate. So they can coexist because of the fact that there isn't a likelihood of confusing the two. You wouldn't think that a product is coming from a different source, which goes back to why we have trademarks to begin with, right? It gives some level of assurance exactly. or, or strength behind the brand because uh, if I were to open up a store that looked remarkably similar to an Apple store and called it Oranges and dressed all of my people with blue shirts and called them super smart guys, right? That might be, again, we're not getting into the specific details, but that, that, that in some way, shape, or form corrupts uh, the brand. Correct. Um, and I wanted to ask one more question then we're going to move into copyright. To me, this is all very fascinating. I find it... Uh, uh, a fair amount of Talmudic logic is, is at play here as well. Yeah. Um, Coca-Cola. This is like the famous kosher for Passover yep. question. Like two people alive plus like somebody at the OU yeah. knows what the ingredients are. What category does that fall under? So Coca-Cola has probably the most famous trade secret uh, of any uh, of any trade of any uh, trade secret ever created. Essentially. It's just a secret. Uh, they could, in theory, patent their formula for their Coca-Cola, but as we mentioned earlier, a, a patent has an expiration date. Uh, they would get 20 years of protection, mm -hmm. and that would be the end of it. Then uh, a after the expiration of a patent, either by abandonment or by the running of the time, um, that information in, in a patent belongs to the world. The uh, patents go back to our constitution, actually. Um, that's how old they are. And the idea behind it was to foster innovation. Uh, it's a it's a brokered deal between the United States of America and the people. We, as a government, are, are trying to incentivize the people of the United States to um, share their innovations rather than keep them secret. And in exchange for providing all of the information that you have about your inf your in your invention, if the government feels that it's uh, sufficiently innovative and new to be worthy of a patent, your compensation for sharing that information with the world is this limited monopoly. Um, that's sort of the give and take of a patent. But once that time runs out, that information ostensibly belongs to the world. Um, so if I'm, if I'm creating, just to stick with the two topics that we've got, if I'm creating an iPhone, I don't really care because my technology is going to be obsolete in 20 years anyways in all likelihood. So correct. I'm less nervous about the secrecy. I'm more nervous about the protection. Correct. If I'm Coca-Cola, uh, we all know how well New Coke did, right? So we, <laughs> we, we know that Coca-Cola Classic has longevity and, and staying power. 20 years is not, is not sufficient. Correct. And this will go to something that I guess we can get into later as far as choosing what type of intellectual property you want to um, use to protect your company, your invention, your 
whatever uh, products and services you're providing. In the case of Coca-Cola, it makes sense for them to keep, like you said, to, to keep everything as a trade secret because uh, they want to keep it a secret for as long as possible. And ironically, or interestingly, I actually looked into the, 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 the Coca-Cola trade secret a while back. There was an article that was written. I, I, I wish I could remember who it was uh, written by, but uh, investigating this issue. And essentially the, what happened was years and years ago, in order to be able to get the, the kosher certification, they gave uh, the rabbi certifying the Coca-Cola a laundry list of ingredients uh, and didn't tell him which ones are particularly in the product right. and which are not and at what percentages, etc. But by him verifying that everything on that list was certified as kosher, he, they were able to get the um, the hefsher for ah, Coca-Cola. The kosher certification. Oh, that's funny. So normally we try to shoot for a nexus in between Israel and America. Now we've been able to add intellectual property, Coca-Cola, and kosher certification. So yeah. I'd say that we checked all of the bingo boxes here <laughs> on the Nachum Siegel Network uh, today. So that, that's, you know, and it's fascinating that that would even apply in that particular in that particular case, in that particular way, um, it's interesting, and you also get to see the the scope of intellectual property, which spans from Coca Cola, which is as tried and true and stable of a company as America has today, uh, down to you know Apple, Samsung, the guy in his garage right now inventing some software. Um, and it, it spans the entire spectrum. So when you said to the audience that you might be a single person with an idea, you may be a multi-billion dollar conglomerate, either way you need that level of protection, and it's really all the genesis of that is from the Constitution. Um, yeah, well, um, specifically in, in patents that was in the Constitution, other, uh, the other areas have developed uh, maybe more over time uh, as, uh, you know, as as the laws were required. Um, uh, certainly copyright law has existed in the world for many, many generations. Um, and you actually see it in halacha uh, going back to, I think, the 14th century. There were, there were, uh, there were articles written um, by Gedolim about uh, uh, somebody reprinting somebody else's sefer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and whether that was allowed or not, whether you're allowed, whether that would fall under some sort of Hasagas Gvul or or uh, Gzela, where exactly that you know the the source of copyright law is in halacha, but but there's definitely uh, there's the concept has existed in 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 U.S. law and 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 other areas for many many years. So so Nathan is letting us know that uh, that from Jewish law, perhaps even back to the 1300s, maybe even prior to that. There's some concept of intellectual property. I, I would be interested, and we'll have you on then as sort of a follow-up show. We'll give you a little bit of a research project. I'd be curious about the etymology is the wrong word for it, but the, the origination of intellectual property in the secular world, in the Jewish world. And, you know, an interesting comment that you made, and then we're going to jump right into copyright law because I cut you off right over there a couple moments ago, is that I wonder if this, the the comparisons in between America and Israel in terms of being startup nations, if you will. One's been around for a little bit longer, and certainly is a lot mm -hmm. broader based, uh, but this concept of innovation ingenuity, if that emanated from the principles instilled within the Constitution, 
um, and how Israel managed to piggyback off of, off of part of that. I want to, just before we get into copyright law, remind all of our listeners that you're listening to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You're listening to us on NachumSiegel.com. We are proud to be sponsored by our good friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. <laughs> Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. I don't know about you, but I had a bunch of bar mitzvahs in the last couple of weeks, and I've got uh, some coming up right after the holidays, and there's just not time to get to the store. Check out Adorama.com. You're going to find something for pretty much everybody uh, that you're looking to get a gift for. Uh, we have uh, on with us this show uh, Nathan Renoff. Uh, Nathan Renoff is, and just to make sure I don't say the name incorrectly, Nathan Renoff is an associate at the firm of... Pearl Cone Sedek Latzer Baratz. Should not be that difficult. I'm going to get to it. You can see the firm at pearlcohen.com, P-E-A-R-L, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N.com. You can check out Nathan specifically by going to professionals and looking for him, but you get a chance to see the... the, the the entire scope and, and spectrum of what the firm really does with with uh, offices in New York, Herzliya, Tel Aviv, London, Boston, and Haifa. You can see their practice areas, their industry expertise, and really it is a pleasure uh, for Nathan to have given of his time to give us, you and me, our audience, an opportunity to be able to understand the the real understanding of what intellectual property is. And, and I had interrupted Nathan with my fascination with Coca-Cola and kosher certification uh, a little while ago, and now he's going to walk us through what copyright basically means. Sure. Um, really just taking it at a, at a basic level. Um, my Just to, as a reminder, by the way, my, my particular focus within intellectual property is uh, patent law, um, but I have uh, a fair amount of familiarity with the other areas, and... We certainly at Procone have people who specialize in every area, so uh, uh, you know we can cover pretty much anything. Um, copyright uh, protects works of um, expression, essentially. Um, if I write a song or uh, write a book, if I um, create a system code for a for a computer program, all of those um, all of those creations are uh, have within them a uh, immediate protection, actually a common a common law uh, protection. Um, when you say common law, you use that term a couple times. Can you just sure. enlighten us? Sure. Meaning, rather than um, having to do something proactive, other than um, creating the work. Um, when I say other than, meaning actually going and filing a copyright. Uh, intrinsically within your work, uh, common law meaning the the law of the land, if you will, the way that it's uh, accepted um, uh, outside of a particular federal statute or or state mandate. Uh, there is you have rights that exist in them. It's um, you know if if you will, it's kind of similar to the way they had in the back in the Wild West, where if you went out past the boundaries and you put a stake in the ground, that was your property. You, there was an understanding that, that you you build, you put up a fence, you own that property. So there, there, there are certain concepts of that that exist in certain areas of, of, of law, um, of intellectual property law. Um, it's a big distinction actually between patents on one side and copyrights and trademarks on the other side, where in, in order to have a patent on something, you actually have to go through the process of filing a patent having it examined, a patent application, having it examined at the patent office, 
and uh, having the patent granted and issued uh, to you. Um, for trademarks and copyrights, uh, in theory, you have a certain level of protection in, in your trademark and or your, your um, copyrighted material, your uh, expression, if you will. Um, from the point that you, for trademarks, it's from the point that you start using it. It's based on use. Uh, and for copyrights, it's based on, uh, from uh, creation. Uh, in, order to, in order to enforce those rights, you need to go through the process of trademarking them uh, and or copywriting them and I tell people all the time you don't want to wait until you need to enforce them um, copyrights just as an example um, are relatively inexpensive uh, to copyright your works as you create them but if you need to sue somebody who is uh, you know blatantly copying your information or your 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 uh, expression and and selling it or pretending that it's their own um, to rush and have it done uh, to, to file a reg for a copyright registration is, is uh, exponentially more expensive. Um, in trademarks, uh, by filing a, a federal trademark or a trademark with the patent off with the patent and trademark office, you've you've put the world on you know you've put the world on notice because those uh, those uh, the, that information once it's filed is publicly available and there's an understanding that it's yours uh, rather than having to fight an uphill battle later on. So uh, yeah, fine, that's fine. So I just want to make sure because you mentioned a lot of things there. Um, I want to make sure that the audience heard this because this is something that I thought was really a great uh, description of the world of intellectual property. The key word there is property. And, uh, and when you described it like the Wild West that I'm going to go stake out my real estate, it's something that almost all of us can understand. Here you're talking about I'm doing something new that in reality the world, I don't believe the world has been exposed to, so it's a new type of real estate. Right. It's not a physical type of real estate, but it exists out there in the realm of thought or yeah. whatever else it would be. And I've now put my stake in the ground saying that that's mine. So just to, to make sure that I understand and the audience understands, if I am a singer and I'm coming out with a new song, I've got a new beat, I've got new lyrics, I've got new something else like that, that falls under... Copyright. Co that's copyright. That's when you say expression, Correct. that's what you're talking about. So the famous story about somebody's copywritten, uh, the happy birthday song, right? Right. So that's, uh, um, you know, so, but, but let's, let's ask a separate question right now. And again, I, I want to echo that, that Nathan is not offering legal advice or guidance right now. He's offering us a understanding of, of something that I believe that 99% of us probably don't understand. We know the concepts are out there. I think it's important to get them because we've got a lot of people listening right now or will be downloading shortly um, who have great ideas or have friends with great ideas. And, and that idea sort of sits there because they're like, well, I don't know if somebody else has this idea or not or if it was a great idea, didn't somebody else come up with it? And I want you to address that in a minute. But, you know, one of these things that we have today online, we've got these parodies, right? Like the Maccabees, they have their very popular, popular songs. Right. It strikes me that that's taking somebody else's expression and doing something with that. Is there a laxness to enforcing that, or is there something else that we should be aware of? Right. In that in that respect, I believe, uh, and again, that's not my my really my focus, um, but I believe that there's an exception for parodies uh, specifically. Uh, so uh, it's an exception to the rule that allows you to parody a song, for example, or or a speech, or a video, or a book, even. Um, so Saturday Night Live is going to stay in business, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So yeah. So they have they have the ability to do that. Okay. So now now you spoke about and I, um, there's a lot more and I want you to be able to speak uh, in the last part of the segment specifically about what your specialty is. But I want you to address for one moment to our audience that's out there, if they come up with an idea, whatever that idea is in. Uh, they come up with a concept, whatever that concept is, and maybe even an expression that they feel has some form of market value. I assume something that they don't have an interest in selling, so who cares? I don't know if that's true. Is that a fair statement by intellectual property? Um, yeah, I mean, there are certain types of intellectual property that are um, that you can sell, that you you know you you could. It, just as an example, trademarks, as we as we mentioned, is, are based on use. So if, if you create a, a, a catchy name for a company, but you don't have a company to use it with, uh, then you couldn't sell that trademark to somebody because you, you probably couldn't even get a trademark on it without the use. Um, patents, currently the way that the system is exists, if you have a patent on an invention, whether or not you are using that um, invention, uh, you could sell the rights, you can assign the rights and sell the rights to that patent to somebody else um, without getting into all the details of that. There, there are what's called, what, you know, this is an area, a hot topic in intellectual property law and you see it a lot in business, in business world as well, um, discussion of um, non, what they call NPEs, non-practicing entities, okay. which, which can be innocuous, as innocuous as somebody who's invented something but has doesn't have the um, the financial ability or the time to follow through with creating the product, selling the product, etc., but wants to be able to monetize their patents so they'll sell it to somebody to uh, something it's like that, locking up a real estate deal and flipping it. You know you can't close, right? But you you got there first, right? But you you ha you are entitled to the patent because you've created you've shared that your invention with the world and that's the the give and take that you get with the patent office is that's a real business people are out there doing that there are pe there are plenty of people who create um who have invented something but have not been able to monetize it practically uh in any other way than to sell it um mm -hmm. you do have more more the more egregious quote-unquote patent trolls which typically refer to um, people and or entities that are buying up patents simply for the sake of um, threatening and suing uh, larger companies in, in what very often amounts to a level of extortion. Um, sometimes these patents are very vague, they're poorly written, um, and very often these, these uh, what they call trolls, will go after companies that they know uh, are not really... Uh, able to get into heavy litigation with them and essentially they'll just uh, agree to a licensing deal where they'll license the, this patent whether or not they've even decided that they're um, infringing on the patent. So there's a dark underworld of the intellectual property certainly, field. And, certainly and, and the government has been working hard to uh, try to deal with this issue. Um, we want to, people to be able to uh, monetize their inventions. We want uh, the patents law system to continue to flourish, but we don't want people to be able to uh, inappropriately take advantage of it. So uh, there's there's two sides to that, obviously. Sure, I'm I'm curious, and I don't know whether you have any experience of this. Are there funds that actually fund? Uh, I, I can see that being you know a, a type of fund that that uh, that you know very niche. 
but I can see people getting out there and, and trying to make a, a, you know several dollars in that yeah. direction. There, there are there are funds that will invest in uh, litigations, uh-huh. um, and very often their patent uh, their patent uh, infringement litigations. Uh, they're very uh, tricky proposition because very often um, when I say tricky, I mean tricky for the patent owner uh, more in particular than the, than the investors. Um, because the and I always look at it from the from the from the position of the uh, of the inventor, the person holding the patent. Because sure. uh, if you have a portfolio of of patents, so they're obviously going to focus on the ones that have the highest likelihood of success in litigation, rather than the ones that are necessarily the most innovative. Right. So in a way. You know, you have to balance that if you're going to get involved with that on the investment side. Um, they're also they're they're high risk. Maybe they're also high reward. Um, I uh, you know I don't have a, a tremendous amount of uh, feedback on that. So okay, so so going back for one moment to the person who's who's driving along now and listening to us on the Nachum Siegel app and says, "Oh my goodness, I remember that great idea I had three weeks ago, and this is going to." Frankly, if I was able to come up with a hypothetical great idea, I probably would have a great idea and we wouldn't be doing the show right now. <laughs> We'd be talking with attorney-client confidentiality and I'd give you my idea. But whatever that idea is that they feel uh, a niche market, it's a new way to build a sukkah, it's a new way to keep the sukkah up, it's a, it's a, it's a new way to search the web. You know what I'm saying? It could be as, 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 as myopic or as broad as either of those two things and says, hey, what does that person do? So uh, you gave actually, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you gave actually some good examples because you could get patents on uh, physical objects um, just as well as you can get patents on software programs provided. There's been a lot of talk about software patents being dead. I assure you that is not the case. Uh, it was just dealt with in the Supreme Court. That's why I was in the news a lot lately. Um, you have to be able to show innovation, um, but. Uh, there, they certainly do still, uh, still very, uh, very much alive. Um, having said that, if you have an idea that you think is novel uh, and you think would be worthy of a patent, the first thing I always tell people is see if it already exists. Because the, from a, a patent perspective, without getting too much into the nitty gritty, um, <clears throat> presuming that your invention falls within the um, class of things that are patentable. Um, let's just assume that that the things that we've that discussed is. already are, are are within the patentable categories. Right. Um, the two main things that you have to worry about is are they is your invention novel and is it non-obvious? Mm-hmm. Now that those two things may sound similar, but um, they have very specific meaning in patent law. Um, to me, novel it has to literally have not existed before. Uh, if you were the first person to create something, uh, to invent something, uh, and when I say invent, I don't mean actually necessarily building it. You can have uh, constructively built it. Uh, physically, you, I'm sorry, you could have physically and actually built it, mm-hmm. or you can have what's called constructive reduction to practice, which essentially means that you've uh, come up with all of the details that you would need to build it, even if you haven't. I feel strongly for the attorneys out there that there should be some form of continuing education credits here. Post this show. Follow me at Lightstone A. I'm going to send out a, a quiz, 
and uh, and we'll see if people can wind up pulling out some credits for this. Say that constructive reduction. Say that again. Can, can act, there's actual reduction to practice, which means actually taking out a hammer and nails and building it, or sitting down at a computer and writing all the code necessary for a program, or right, taking a pen and paper and and uh, sorry, and actually creating the mm-hmm. the the, uh, the invention. And then there's uh, constructive reduction to practice, which essentially just means that you've written down all of the details, you've sketched it out, you've um, you have all of the details necessary to create it, um, and you it, you've you've concept, conceptualized it, you've created it, and on paper you have it. Whether you actually have a physical model is not. So how really do you relevant. how do you search if somebody else has done this? You could really start with Google. Um, okay. You can also search uh, actually at the the USPTO. Uh, website under it's uspto.gov United States Patent and Trademark Office uspto.gov uh, you go to the section for patents they have you can have the ability to search there um, it does get a little bit complicated of course um, as you get deeper into your search and, and trying to find the difference between your idea and slightly similar ideas um, but uh, if you in the first five minutes of searching on Google um, see that your idea exists, then don't bother calling a patent attorney. It already exists. You can't get a patent on it. That's the, the first prong, which is the, um, the novelty prong. The second prong is a little bit more complicated, but what it boils down to is if other people in your industry, whether or not it's the, the, your invention exists, um, is not exactly relevant, but if other people in your industry with the same level of knowledge as you could have come up with the exact same thing uh, and could have created the exact same thing but didn't simply for as a matter of course or for whatever reason uh, the patent office could actually reject uh, your invention as being obvious in light of other things that are out there Um, it's a little bit harder to search for that kind of thing on your own but just as a really 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 basic example uh, if I created the first pencil out of lead and you come along and say hey you know there's a really obvious equivalent to lead is uh, graphite Uh, if that is considered uh, obvious by the patent office when they review it they'll reject your they'll reject your patent application if they believe that graphite was not obvious even to other pencil makers for whatever reason uh, you would you would be able to overcome that problem now, if the person has the patent on a pencil with lead, does that mean if you wanted to go into business creating a pencil with graphite that you would have to license the pencil for them? Meaning, I understand why you couldn't hold a patent, but would 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 you be prohibited from manufacturing that pencil? So it really depends on how broad or narrow the, the, the patent itself is, mm-hmm. and that's where choosing the right patent attorney definitely makes all the difference because that segues very nicely (laughs) strongly recommend all of our listeners to contact nathan renoff at pearlcohen.com the email address is n like nathan renoff at pearlcohen.com if you have any particular patent uh, or intellectual property questions if it's his area of expertise i'm sure he's more than happy to help you Uh, if not at his illustrious firm both here london and in israel i'm sure there is an expert on the ground uh, in order to be able to do that. And it sounds to me, look, I just spent, while you were talking, I did spend some time poking around here on USPTO.gov, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, for a government website. It's an excellent website. 
for the depth of knowledge that's required to really understand what they're talking about. If you think you have an idea and you did what Nathan recommended and you Googled for a little bit and you don't find it, it's worth a couple of dollars at the very, very least for your own sense of uh, not leaving any cards on the table. You, you went, you spoke to a professional, they walked you through the process um, in order to be able to see, because who knows what great idea you've been sleeping on or thinking about or talking about with your siblings or spouse or whatever else it would be that, that's out there ready to be invented and you haven't taken advantage of that yet. Um, we don't actually have a lot of time left on our show. I want to leave you, Nathan, with just maybe three ideas and if, if you'll address them in whatever order you'd like. Number one is your firm is unique in its offices both in Israel and here. Uh, I'd be curious to your feelings about the future of technology innovation and discussing the cultural implications of having a essentially Israel and American firm. Uh, the second is there are people out there listening saying, this is an interesting profession. How do I find out more? Maybe you can give a couple of words in terms of you know the fulfillment that you get from this and guidance to, to young engineers or attorneys out there who see this as a growth industry. Um, and we'll leave it at two because we don't have time for my third. So go ahead, Nathan. Uh, first of all, re, re, uh, addressing your first point, um, definitely uh, having offices in Israel. Uh, we actually have three offices in Israel, offices, an office in London, an office in Boston. Um, we are what you would call an international firm. Um, we can handle um, filings in Europe through via our London office, which is uh, definitely a boon for uh, clients of ours as well, uh, simply because rather than having to hire a foreign associate in, in Europe, we have one on our own staff. Uh, we have a, n a number, actually. Um, culturally, it's amazing. Uh, we have many, many Israeli clients, um, both startup inventors and large uh, international companies. And Israelis really are some of the most innovative people on the planet. Um, can, can you just throw out an adjective or two to what you attribute that to possibly? Everybody's got an opinion. I don't think anybody's got the answer, but you see it from a different angle. Um, well, you have, you know, in order to succeed, you have to have a, a little bit of chutzpah. And I don't mean that in the bad way. I mean that in the, in the sense that you have to be willing to try and see if you can push the, the envelope for innovation and say, you know what, let's buck the trend. Let's, let's try to do something different. That's the, you know, that, that, um, maybe that it's, maybe it's something ingrained in the Jewish spirit, um, this desire to change the world. Uh, and, uh, our clients, many of our clients have it in droves. So they really, they look at things and they say, there's something wrong with this or this, this can be done better and let's try to figure out if we can do it in a better way. Uh, and that actually segues well to your second question, which was, um, you know, what my, how fulfilled I feel by this type of practice. Um, I can tell you that I love what I do. I, I uh, eat, breathe and sleep, um, patent law and technology in general. Uh, and I would definitely encourage people who are interested in technology, people who are interested in, in uh, how things work, um, and uh, just overall uh, people who you know love innovation uh, to definitely look into this type of field. Whether you have a, a you know a, a hard sciences background, um, uh, you know from biology, chemistry, 
uh, physics, etc., to any any of the engineering backgrounds, mechanical, electrical, uh, etc. Uh, if you find that you are not getting the level of fulfillment, or are more interested in a broader uh, approach, as we talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. to the, these areas, um, there is probably an area of intellectual property law that is uh, good for you, and uh, I encourage you to follow that. So. Just as a follow-up to that, do you have, I guess I would say two things coming from an engineering background. Do you ever get a call from a client that says, oh, I could have thought of that, sort of as number one? And number two is, do you have that, and, and I, our entrepreneurs have mentioned this, they have aha moments or wow moments. Um, and it doesn't need to be yours. Oftentimes they say that it was a group effort, it was a collaborative effort. Do you ever wind up with a client call and say, you're just excited to be able to help them fulfill that? Certainly. Um, people, everybody who I speak to, whether it's, you know, sitting in shul, you know, or, or on the street, everybody's got an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, family members, friends, uh, random people on the subway, if they, you know, if in conversation it comes up that I'm a patent attorney, the first thing I hear is, oh, I have an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's got one, and I encourage people to, to, to find out, look into, do a little bit of research on your own if you're not sure you think that it's innovative and it's something you want to pursue and it's something that you you know feel that you can monetize and, and really take advantage of uh, an area of innovation then I encourage you to give me a call uh, or or you know do the research yeah we have just in, in the waning moments here of our show uh, you've been listening to tech talk here on the Nahum Siegel network my I am your host Arye Lightstone You've been listening to us either on NachamSiegel.com or you've downloaded our app already, as I requested you to do at the beginning of the show. Uh, If not, kindly follow me uh, at LightstoneA on Twitter. Reach out. Tell me how you feel about Nathan. Do you have a great idea? Maybe we'll have a Twitter competition, great ideas, and all run them by Nathan and see what he thinks. Um, Again, none of the the, uh, information offered on the show was for concrete legal advice, just a better understanding uh, of the world of intellectual property. We are proud to be sponsored by our good friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. We've been, uh, I think, really blessed to be joined on this show by uh, Nathan Ranoff, an associate at... Pearl Cohen, Tzedek Latzer, Baratz. Not difficult to say. Sometimes just under the gun, I get flustered. You can reach Nathan, uh, first of all, at their website, pearlcohen.com, or N, like Nathan Renoff, at pearlcohen.com. Uh, Nathan brings a vast uh, amount of experience from the intellectual, uh, excuse me, from the electrical engineering background to the intellectual property world. I think the thing that's put intellectual property to me in a way that I can finally understand it, at least on a macro level, was it really is real estate, just not actually there. Um, and where you're laying, you're, you're staking claim to it, you want to try to monetize it, you want to try to protect it, you want to build that fence. So if you're looking for help building that fence, certainly to reach out to Nathan. Nathan, Justin, you know, we spoke uh, about the excitement. What's it like culturally interacting with the attorneys in Israel? I love it. They're they're wonderful, actually. Um, ironically, uh, despite them being in Israel, everybody pretty much converses in English. Uh, occasionally, there's a random email that comes out in Hebrew. Thankfully, my Hebrew is good enough to follow it, uh, though not everybody at our firm uh, speaks Hebrew uh, or understands Hebrew or reads Hebrew, etc. Um, but it's been great. Uh, working with them has uh, been phenomenal. 
And that's really exciting. I know that uh, that uh, the nexus in between Israel, America, entrepreneurialism, technology is something that, that you've cared deeply about here on Tech Talk. We care deeply about it, and, and we can only hope as we go into the new year, this will be a year of innovation, it will be a year of excitement, it will be a year of bringing things together uh, and not, God forbid, the other thing pulling them apart. Hopefully in a, in a year of peace and a year of success, we're going to see even more Tremendous things come out of Israel, and, and we're excited to know that one of our guests plays a uh, plays a major role in that. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us on the show. Thank you to my dear audience for spending another week with us here on Tech Talk on the Nachum, Nachum Siegel Network on NachumSiegel.com. This is R.E. Lightstone wishing you all a good week, and for those who keep with the Jewish holidays, a happy and a healthy New Year.